Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm sitting down with Benjamin Schneider and Guido Mariotti from the OLX Group, talking about how they are using Kotlin in developing their system from scratch. Hi, guys, and welcome to the show. Hi, Adi. Hi, Adi. So uh, we were just saying that you are in based out of Berlin, right? That is correct, yes. Is that the entire company or just you two? working from there? No, not at all. It's just one tiny office of many that we have. So uh, we are part of the OLX group, which is a classified group uh, that acts and uh, has offices around the world. And we are subsidiary ourselves of, of Nespers, which is a huge South African internet company. Essentially distributed then, and there's, there's a few of you in Berlin then? Yes, exactly. We don't even have this classical structure of a headquarter. We have multiple offices around the globe, a couple of big tech hubs like here in Berlin or uh, Poznan in Poland or Buenos Aires. Um, and we happen to uh, deliver what we call shared services here in Berlin. So all kinds of uh, services used around the world by different OLX brands, for example, payments, which is what we do, but also things like um, um, content moderation, image uploading and hosting. So everything that all of our apps around the world, because we're different, different brands have in common, we try to extract into um, shared services that we develop here in Berlin. Okay. And you said that you are focused on a payment system, right? So can you tell us a little bit more about what this payment system actually is? Yeah, absolutely. So given the, the kind of countries we operate in, so there's a lot of complexity in doing payments. Payments for us is not just credit card or PayPal. It's also things like electronic bank transfer, but also offline bank transfer, or some countries even prefer to do cash payments. So you can imagine you want to pay for something online, you get something like a QR code and you go to the next gas station, show them that code and do a cash deposit. So there's a lot of very different payment uh, methods that we have to deal with depending on which country we're looking at. Uh, just just taking a pause for a moment, when you said because of the countries that we deal with, can you give us an idea of what, what you're referring to? Absolutely. Um, we have, for example, countries like um, South Africa, uh, Argentina, India, Pakistan, um, but also uh, in Eastern Europe, we're in Poland, we're in the Ukraine, and all of these countries have very, very different payment behavior. So some of them do, you could say, Western classical prefer uh, credit cards, but then others do these uh, bank transfers or cash payments um, or even other tiny providers that are a bit similar to PayPal, but very localized, just sort of uh, existing in that country. And yeah, we we kind of lose sight that not everyone is using credit cards, right? Exactly, <laughs> All over the <world>. exactly, yeah. <laughs> And that is just very, very complex. Um, so on, on one hand, it's offering the right payment method, but then on the other hand, it's also dealing with compliance. GDPR is, uh, like everyone's talking about GDPR these days, uh, General Data Protection Regulation of the European Union. That's something we need to comply with. But then when you do payments and uh, in those countries where we do credit card, there's also this thing called PCI DSS, which stands for Payment Card Industry Data Security Standard, which also is a huge set of requirements uh, that are demanded if you process credit card data to make sure that credit card data is safe. So that's another aspect we need to deal with. And then on the other side, we have our stakeholders in finance who want to know how much money we make. So we also need to make sure that the numbers are right in the books at the end of the day. 
you know, talking about all of this, I mean, you brought up GDPR and I got this cold shiver again. And you know, sometimes like I remember, you know, in the old days when I used to uh, work on a ERP system and a customer would call you and say, oh, we've discovered a bug in the invoicing system. And you would get this really, really cold sweat thinking, oh, God, does this mean that like all of the invoices that have been generated have this error or what have you and the nightmare that that's going to pursue? I question like people like yourselves that work on these systems that involve payment. Do you actually sleep at nights? <laughs> Which <Which> one? <laughs> so uh, you've got this complex system that uh, is bound to many regulations and many requirements. And then on top of that, now you, me and everyone in the world has to comply with GDPR, uh, which some some companies are even refusing to serve European customers because of which they're doing it in the wrong way because they, they don't realize that a European customer could actually be in the US and, and, and still they would need to be compliant with uh, GDPR. But talking about, you know, this complex payment system, one of the things that when we were discussing earlier for you to come on the show, you said the difference to many of the other shops that have a large legacy Java code base and then they're converting to Kotlin, you have basically started uh, some of these applications from scratch in Kotlin. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. We had the luxury situation that uh, when we came in, or rather when I came in as, as uh, head of engineering, I also was the first engineer uh, back in March last year, that this whole system, this whole thing did not exist yet, at least not in this centralized global environment. We have, Olex Group has a, has a couple of brands um, uh, on the globe and you know all of them and all of them have sort of created their own payment integration their own payment experience um, mostly with payment providers the same way as we do it actually um, but all of them individually uh, needed to solve that complexity of being compliant of reporting the numbers to finance um, and offering the right payment methods and we wanted to change that we wanted to create the service at a, at a corp level and then offer it to all our brands and sites and apps um, while having solved all of that complexity already. So that, that was new, that was a new approach and uh, asked for a new service. And uh, yeah, I came in and we talked about the requirements, what it, what, what it is that we want to build. And back then I knew Kotlin quite a bit already because I, I sort of, I'm like a hobbyist game developer and I played around with it uh, using Kotlin and libgdx, if you're aware of that and had a lot of fun with it. And I thought, you know, we're creating something new here. Would it make sense to use Kotlin? And uh, ultimately, it was actually quite easy to convince my boss, our CTO, Olaf. I mean, he had some concerns around, yeah, you know, it's yet another groovy, yet another Scala. And uh, I was like, no, it's not, you know, it's much, much better than that. Um, and I somehow intuitively believed that Kotlin will be big and this decision we made of using Kotlin for that new service was shortly before the announcement that Google officially supports it for Android development. So it was even a bit harder um, um, back then to make the decision. But ultimately, we took the risk, even though, uh, to be frank, I, I didn't see that big of a risk there anyway. It's another JVM language. We had tons of expertise with JVM in the company. Uh, our infrastructure teams didn't care. For them, it's just a Docker container at the end that needs to be served. 
Uh, and even if something would have happened, we could, you know, incrementally have switched back to Java if necessary. Thanks God it wasn't. Uh -huh. Uh, but, you know, there wasn't a big of, the, of a risk to begin with, so we said, let's just go with it. So I guess that when May came about, you were kind of like, you know, um, rubbing your hands and patting yourself on the back and saying, you see, I told you so, no? Basically, yeah, I think I still yeah. have this email that has exactly these words in it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, your boss said, well, no, this is another Scala, this is another Groovy, this is another whatever. Like, what were the main impediments that were being presented for you to not adopt Kotlin? Right. Well, first and foremost, because it was just not well known yet. Um, most people have heard of it uh, and mostly on Android, but not necessarily on the server side. Um, and then, yeah, additionally, people have, you know, seen languages like Groovy and Scala raise and, and have gotten a lot of attention, but then over time has, have just vanished again. Um, and you know, people went back to Java, especially here in, in our in our hub here in Berlin. Uh, lots of people were betting on Java and the, the newer versions of Java. But I felt like no matter how hard Java tries, they will never get rid of that old baggage of just being, you know, to be fair, a, a rather old language and they need to be backwards compatible and, and that's all totally fair and fine. But I saw the opportunity in creating a new service that we can use a more modern, modern language that just feels more pleasant to work with, with without having all this burden from the past. So how did you sell it? I mean, like, okay, it, you, th you think it's an awesome modern language, you doesn't have some of the legacy that uh, Java, the baggage that Java brings with it, which as you said, you know, it is a 20 year old language. Uh, so kudos for it for for bring, coming along, uh, you know, the whole twenty years and, and more. But how do you convince your boss if they're not a technical person that I know it's new? I know that maybe a lot of people don't know it, but let's use it anyway. Yeah. Well, first I, I gave him an intro of all the features, and not just him. I did like a brown back here in the company and introduced him to Kotlin, and showed some of my favorite features like the. Uh, built in like the null safety, uh, for example, or just a concise syntax. Um, and basically, you could see in the audience this wow effect of like, wow, cool, that's a really nice language. When can we start using it? And that was basically the effect that I had after this brown bag. Lots of interest in the language and uh, asking how to get started. Um, and then, yeah, did the same with my boss, uh, gave him an overview of all the features, why I think they make sense, especially for a payment system where we really need to have a reliable system. Features like, you know, null safety, everything non-nullable per default or immutability per default uh, are just very convincing points. And the Java interoperability is also another big point. I mean, we've considered that a lot of payment service providers offer integration mostly with Java. Uh, just the fact that you can just take the jar and then uh, use Kotlin on top of that. That's, I think, is a, from my side, is a really big selling point. Okay, so let me play devil's advocate here a second, okay? Uh, you say, uh, for, first of all, there is a, one minor correction that I wouldn't say, uh, okay, you said immutability by default. Um, I wouldn't say it's by default. I mean, it's it's recommended by default, but it's not things aren't mutable by default. But let's focus on the nullability, right? And you go and say, well, you know, 
we're going to get rid of nulls, payment system, critical, safe, get rid of nulls, this is going to solve it. Realistically, do you think that that helps? I mean, how or I mean, I know to a certain extent that yes, it 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 nullability enforces me to think about the the edge cases that many times I would ignore uh, when you know dealing with types that are nullable. But how did it help you? And, and was the experience that you've had actually resembling what you sold? Yeah, I absolutely do think it helps. I mean, to be frank, you can mess up in Kotlin the same way you can in other languages, right? So it doesn't doesn't prevent you from doing something you're not supposed to do. You can still uh, get your null pointer exceptions if you if you're really eager to get them. But we had this we had this moment where we were looking at the piece of code and it had like question marks all over the place, and that was sort of like an epiphany for us because we thought, you know, now it's really obvious that this code sucks and we should probably refactor it into something else. And I think that is what Kotlin uh, shines at, at at making problems with your code more obvious and that's also uh, that's like uh, the nullability but also what i sort of meant with immutability per default earlier is that the more concise keywords like list off for example is the one that you intuitively pick first and those are the immutable ones and if, if you chose mutability you have to explicitly say mutable list off for example and then it became become super obvious what's going on in your code and you might even recognize the smell there. If you sort of see this more rarely than just list off, you, your intention is drawn to it and you think like, why did we choose this here? Does it really make sense? And yeah, same for the, for the question marks. Every time we see question marks in our code, there's like a certain tendency towards saying, you know, what's going on? That's, that's maybe not supposed to way, that's maybe not the way it's supposed to be and, and we should use something else here. Yeah, and that's what I was, uh... I agree with that in terms of it makes you think more around, you know, how you treat nullable values uh, because of the question marks, because of the edge cases or the or the non-happy paths. Uh, and regarding the mutable list of, yeah, absolutely. I, I sometimes joke that I said instead of naming it mutable list of, we should have named it something like mutable list of, do you really want to create a list of items that are mutable of? Uh, and that would really persuade people to just probably just default to list off. Uh, okay, so you've now created, you, you know, you've convinced your, your boss that you're going to start using Kotlin. And uh, what, are, what are you combining this technology with? Well, we looked at a couple of tools back then. We looked at Spring Boot and Dropwizard, um, but chose Dropwizard in the end because we felt a bit more comfortable with the defaults it had. And also, I personally had some previous experience with Dropwizard and the first engineer we hired did not have any experience with uh, Spring Boot as well. So we just gave it a try in Dropwizard. We created a prototype around it and um, felt that it, I think it, it actually worked out of the box. I don't remember if we needed to add any sort of gluing library. I think we didn't. It just worked out of the box and we immediately felt comfortable with it. Everything ran smoothly and then we just stick with it. Can you uh, give us a brief intro of what Drop Wizard is for those not familiar with it? Yeah, sure. Drop Wizard is a bit similar like Spring Boot. It's an opinionated framework um, that has some uh, default technologies attached to it, like Jersey or Jackson. And there's like a database layer called JDBI, which again is a bit of a, a sort of a layer on top of JDBC that allows you to 
create interfaces and you annotate the methods with the SQL you want to execute. Um, and I think it has actually been developed by uh, Yammer. That's sort of like a, it's like a social network for companies, like an internet. The one that Microsoft bought, right? Exactly. Yammer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it has been around for quite a while already and is used in production and it's, it's super stable. And yeah, has also really good documentation if you search for Dropwizard. There's a very nice getting started section. Um, I think it doesn't have any specifics on Kotlin, but it's, it's Java, so it's really easy to translate it to Kotlin. Did you feel you've created extension points? Have you done anything like that with it, or you're just using the plain Java API? Um, I think we have here and there written a couple of utility functions, but it, it wasn't really necessary to, to become productive. But maybe Guido knows a bit more about that. No, I mean, it's, uh, well, yeah, okay, you always have some extension methods here and there just to make the syntax a little bit nicer or avoid all those, uh, say, um, build patterns where you just end with a build at the end, where you can just have a, a normal function to, to do that. Uh, but yeah, no, in general, the, the framework really uh, plays nice with Colin. And, and I think in general, it's probably one of the major advantages of Kotlin in the sense that it tends to really play nice with Java in general. Uh, so you, Person for me that I don't have any working experience with Java, I always have this feeling that Kotlin uh, makes your Java code look a little bit nicer, or much more easy to understand. Um, and with Drop Wizard, I think never had any kind of problem. Yeah, every now and then you need to figure out how Kotlin is compiling something, but that's fine. So Guido, if you you just said that you don't have any working experience with Java, so what is your background? <laughs> So, okay, um, uh, I recently graduated, last year I graduated, so I've done a um, six-month period in, uh, in a uh, bioinformatics environment, so mostly Python. Um, but previously, when I think version 1.0 came out in February 2016, if I'm not wrong. Uh, it was like, I think, that lucky period where I didn't have courses and exams, and uh, it was the moment where I feel really comfortable with, you know, with studying a new programming language. And Kotlin just came out, and I was interested in that. I was studying a little bit of Android, and so I started playing with that, and I personally just fell in love with the language. Uh, uh, so Previous to that, your background, you said, was Python then. I mean, you'd been working with Python a little bit, even if it was at uh, university, right? So as a Python developer, uh, because, you know, we have a few encounters with people that are using Python and have switched over to Kotlin in the realm of data science, so to speak. And it's interesting because there's a lot of people that say, oh, you know, I... I being a Python developer, I really appreciate Kotlin. D did you find the same thing? Do you find it uh, similar in a sense, or or in, in at least in terms of conciseness or anything? I think they're they're quite similar as languages. Uh, Python, I think that in general, Python lets you do a lot more with writing really few lines of code. And from a data science point of view, you really have everything from a point of view of libraries. Um, the only thing that probably is my uh, engineering background I don't really like about Python is how dynamic it is. So it's 
you really have to cover all possible edge cases and you don't have the, the type system that can help you in figuring out if you're going to pass something that is not really a string, but is something completely different. Uh, and also what surprises me a little bit of Python is that while it's a language really with a lot of data science libraries, it doesn't really, uh, in, let's say, it doesn't help you to write functional code. Um, so every now and then, at least from my side, uh, I always felt like that I could specify something in a more functional way in Python, but the, just how I have to write that code didn't really look nice. Uh, and that's, and from this point of view, I personally really hope that Kotlin can take, uh, um, can, can become, I don't want to say that it can become big, but, uh, can start being like, a general language for uh, for data science in general and the fact that there are libraries like spark uh, apache spark for for data for data science uh, i think there is also table so that is something for uh, uh, data frame manipulation uh, there may be a good starting point for people coming from a data science background to start playing a little bit with kotlin yeah it's funny that you mentioned uh the edge cases. I, recently, I saw a tweet that someone said, you know, has anyone created a unit testing framework before I go and do it, whereby it covers the edge cases, the common scenarios where, for example, I'm passing a string where a number is required, etc. And one of the responses to the tweet was, yes, it is invented. It's called a static language. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, that's... Uh... <laughs> I, I honestly, I, I think that it, it really depends also from uh, from a background point of view. I mean, uh, looking, I used to work with bioengineers, and so it's, uh, it's uh, and a lot of those people they they're used to work with MATLAB, and then they start working with Python because it may be easier to just pick up, and so a lot of time they don't really have knowledge about uh, static uh, static languages, statically compiled languages. Um, so yeah, I mean. It's, I'm not surprised that someone could have asked that. And coming to the JVM, because you know you are using Kotlin on the JVM, and being from a Python background and not having touched Java in the past, did you find any struggles there? Uh, no, not really. I mean, uh, I, I've done Java obviously at the university, not really from, uh, say, you, you do all the basics and you try to, at least how I've done the, the university, you start with C and then you, uh, they, they teach you how Java solves some of the problems that C used to have, um, the C has. Um, and so it's, it wasn't really difficult to do the, the, the switch from, uh, then from Python to, to Kotlin. Um, I think that what what I realize is that sometimes with Python uh, I can do really uh, even an HTTP call with three lines of code. Uh, with Kotlin maybe I have to go around five six. Uh, but if I wanted to do the same in Java when I was at the university, it's like I had to really write too much stuff. And it's I, it also um, it always gave me this feeling that uh, I couldn't start playing with the language, Java in general. Uh, and the moment I started learning Kotlin, I just felt like, okay, I can do something on my own in the weekend without uh, uh, having to uh, say spend too many hours and just starting configuring everything.
Yeah, makes sense. I mean, that's that's one of the things as well. Uh, I mean, still, despite that, I guess that with some languages and some environments, it's still easier to get up and running than with others. Um, one of the aspects of Kotlin Native also is is to try and get rid of every kind of impediment that people have in terms of trying a new language, right? Even if that means involving in terms of like, you know, installing a JDK or what have you. And and coming back to the application that uh, you've written with Kotlin, so this is now something that's been in production? Yeah. And how for how long now? For over a year or what? No, for about two months. I oh, think. two months only. Oh, we nice. launched. Yeah, yeah, a little bit more. A bit, a bit, a bit more. more. Yeah, more yeah. We launched. We launched uh, in Poland with an employee test first, um, which was about two and a half months ago, and then just to see, you know, how the system behaves because it was a completely new payment system. The concern there was more around the user experience rather than from a systemic point of view, um, because we completely revamped the payment experience and wanted to make sure that people really accept it. So we started with an employee test and later on started ramping to 0.5% of all customers, which was like uh, 100 transactions per day, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. So not that much, but just to get us, get us started, look at the system, see how it behaves. And currently we are at a 5% ramp in Poland and at the same time have rolled out in South Africa about a month ago. Yep. Um, so we are in production and there is, I think, absolutely nothing ever happened where we would say this is because of Kotlin. No. Oh, well, I hope so, because that would be very, very strange. <laughs> Quite the opposite. Um, the interesting feeling is, is that that people just you know, love the environment uh, that we work in because it, it just feels productive because of Kotlin. It feels, uh, you know, uh, almost like having fun at work. <laughs> well, it it uh, it goes back to the same thing, right? You know, if uh, because we un sometimes undervalue the the importance of having uh, happiness in terms of developer its impact on our productivity, right? Uh, but of course, the, the the other aspect here is that that happiness has to remain because a lot of times we're happy with something new and shiny and then that new and shiny starts to get old and then we're kind of like, well, I'm no longer happy anymore, uh, which is becomes a challenge, I guess, uh, for, for Kotlin as well at some point, right? So any lessons learned that you'd like to share? Well, something that it was quite uh, at least a lesson for me uh, was mostly try to because we are using juice for dependency injection uh, with drop wizard. Uh, it's been quite a little bit of, of I wouldn't say a fight, but you need to understand a little bit what Kotlin compiles to. Um, and I can give a really, really simple example. Um, if you have as a as an input in a, in a resource or in a class, um, you have a, you have a, you take as an input a list or a map. Um, I think Kotlin compiles that to a, a map that can accept a, um, uh, let's say, no, sorry, let's suppose that is a list of string. Kotlin compiles that a bytecode level as a list of uh, uh, something that uh, uh, extends a string. Uh, while Juice, if you just inject something from Juice that is a list of string, Juice sees that only as a list of string. So from that point on, uh, you need to. It was a little bit tricky to figure out why Kotlin was compiling that uh, using the using um, sorry not the wildcard, uh, but the the super keyword in Java, um, or also uh, 
what else? Um, I think Hibernate has these annotations for checking the, the parameters of, uh, of an object. Uh, and I think that's one of the points where you need, you need to use the annotation with field, get, yeah. or setter, um, based on where you want to put the annotation from a, from a bytecode point of view. Um, and that's, I think that probably was a little bit the tricky part of Kotlin that it, it hides you some of the Java syntax and you need to uh, understand how the compilation part works. Um, but the moment that's figured out, I think it's, we never really had uh, big problems there. Yeah, I also remember we had a, a bug once um, that we debugged for two or three days within JDBI, which is this database layer um, that, that Rob was at sort of recommends to use. Um, getting some really weird exception from the inside of our database driver, and we had no idea what it was, debugged it for a couple of days, and then figured out in the end that we wrote a custom data mapper or something like that and implemented a Java interface in Kotlin. And one developer, it was probably myself, was too eager in removing question marks. So uh, implementing the interface, not knowing whether this thing, one of these parameters can be nullable or not, but then declaring it as a non-nullable type through a null pointer exception ultimately was then caught by the library and converted into something different and really had a hard time debugging it. Um, in the end, cost us two or three days. Uh, but uh, I think that's that's something important to keep in mind uh, in the Java to Kotlin interoperability uh, when you implement from that's not obvious anymore. Yeah, especially considering that it's one of the things that you want to try and remove with the language, right? Yeah. Great. Any other war stories or things you want to share? Oof, war stories. I don't know if it's a war story, but hiring was certainly interesting. Oh, really? How so? Um, well, initially, that was one of the concerns of my boss, where uh, it's a totally valid concern of asking the question, so if you choose Kotlin, how do you find Kotlin engineers? Or do you actually find Kotlin engineers that early in the life cycle of Kotlin? And what we did initially was basically looking for Java people or people with a JVM background and saying, giving them the option, you can learn Kotlin with us. Um, we had code reviews in place anyway, and we just said, so if someone comes in, uh, they can learn through our code reviews, we can help them writing idiomatic Kotlin. And that offer was really well perceived. There was a huge pool of people who have heard about Kotlin, who were curious about it, um, came in, were you know hardcore Java developers for a decade, and nowadays say they don't want to go back to Java. So that's a that's a great compliment already, and, and basically tells us that we that we made the right choice. Um, but interestingly, that that hiring ch changed completely. In the last couple of months, we hired again because we uh, increased the, the team size, and suddenly there were a lot of people on the market who deliberately were asking for Kotlin positions. So we didn't need to go this route anymore of saying, hey, we're looking for Java people, we help you learn Kotlin. We actually could go out and say, we are looking for Kotlin engineers and got many, many people who were sitting in companies that were Java shops only and were sort of frustrated because they wanted to try out Kotlin, but they were not given the room to do so and were looking for an opportunity outside to do it. Well, that's good to hear that there is actually, uh, you know, the demand is increasing. But at the same time, you know, I mean, again, if we design Kotlin so that 
as a Java developer or as a C sharp or as a JavaScript developer, essentially you could pick up the language in a couple of days. It's also good to know that that is possible, yeah, right? It definitely um, is. Because I, I always, I'm always, you know, I'm on the fence a lot of times that I'm against this idea of pigeonholing people uh, in, in specific technologies. I mean, I understand from the perspective of the team hiring that, you know, you want someone that is familiar with XYZ technology. Uh, but at the same time, we are, we've all been there. We've all been developers. You know, we shouldn't forget that we have the intellectual capacity to learn something within a few weeks, right? Uh, and then get better at it over time. Uh, because, you know, I mean, who hasn't lied on their CV and said, oh, yeah, I know the next best JavaScript framework, knowing that it will essentially take them a couple of days to get up to speed, um, you know. And it's just it's just very interesting uh, if you are very close to hiring uh, people in that field because it has changed so much in the last year. It even it was way easier for us to hire a couple of months ago because there apparently were not many companies yet on the on the market that were hiring for Kotlin people, especially on the backend. I think we were quite uh, among very few companies who do that for for a short time. But this has changed um, also in Berlin. I know that N26 is using it on the backend now. Um, Zalando, Zalando, Black Lane recently hosted a meetup. Um, so more and more people are are um, adapting Kotlin now, which is great, but also makes it harder for us to hire people because uh, there's just many more uh, competitors now on this side. Well, I, 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 I'm sorry. I guess I can say that this is a good problem for us to have, <laughs> maybe not for you to have. <laughs> it certainly is, yeah. <laughs> Because I mean, we want to, you know, we are, for us, Kotlin. Uh, as as yes, as yes, as last year, we we showed at the Kotlin Conf, right? It's like Kotlin anywhere, essentially, right? Where 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 whether that's backend, whether it's desktop, whether it's uh, mobile, wherever. I mean, that that's essentially one of the things that we're trying to get, right? So it's it's good to hear that this is happening. Well. It's great for you to come on the show. Uh, thank you for taking the time. And it's really good to hear that you actually started this new project with Kotlin from scratch and you've deployed it to production. And I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thank, thank you so much. You.